Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Wednesday, July the 26th, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, the importance of voting and spreading the word about it. Plus, Vice President Kamala Harris in her most important speech ever, and Sinead O'Connor passes away at the age of 56. All of that coming up next. Dear listener, happy hump day to you and welcome to this brand new edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast with yours truly, Omar Moore. Thank you very much indeed for being here. It's always lovely to have you listening to yours truly and to the voices that you will hear on this podcast. And I do hope that you are having a good day, wherever you may be or whenever you happen to be listening to this particular edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. How are you on this Wednesday? How are you feeling? How has your year been going? What kinds of things are you up to? And are you, quote unquote, satisfied with how your year is going on a personal level at this point? Yes, yes, yes. We are almost at the end of July. My goodness, this is the final Thursday of the month of July. And we have almost come to the end of seven full months, seven months full here in 2023. My, my, my. This week is going by quickly, unlike last week, which seemed to drag interminably. But I can tell you, at least the way I'm looking at it, this week is going by really, really quickly indeed. Now, I do want to say a couple of things. Of course, lots going on, of course. One of the things I think that I have to start off with, really, is social media. And look, social media... From now through next year, if you're in the United States in particular, from now through November of 2024, if you are someone on social media, you are going to see some of the most ridiculous things being said. You're going to see lots of gaslighting. I'm sure you're already seeing that, dear listener. You're going to see people saying things or observe or read people saying things or watch people on videos being posted saying the strangest things, the gaslighting. You're going to probably see deep fakes, you know, these uh, videos that look as if someone's saying something, but they're really not actually saying it. It's been very manipulated. And remember, you remember in 2018 and 19 when there were videos circulating from the piece of garbage and from his acolytes on social media videos, fake videos of then speaker Nancy Pelosi, fake videos of the CNN reporter. He's now an anchor, Jim Acosta, supposedly slapping a microphone or pulling a microphone away from one of that piece of garbage's staffers. Remember that at the White House? And there was this whole thing. And there was this manipulation of video by people and I guess it was on the Twitter account of the now Senator Marsha Blackburn or whomever it was in the Republican side of things that was trying to argue that, oh, Jim Acosta is assaulting uh, someone at the White House who, you know, is a staffer of that piece of garbage. 
And we all know that it was all manipulated video and we've seen the evidence of that. You're going to see a whole lot more of that, unfortunately, as we go through here in this latter stage of 2023 and as we get into 2024. You're going to see a lot more of this from Republicans, this manipulation of video and all these other racists out there who are going to put out videos on social media manipulating events and having people who look like the people you think they are saying all of these really bizarre, disgusting things and things that just aren't true. You're going to see that. Just in case you are not aware of it, I will say that to you now. So, dear listener, if you are a social media person, and I am, be aware of this and keep it in mind. Be aware that there's going to be lots of chatter, lots of deception, and you're probably going to see entities influencing things from afar, whether it's Iran, whether it's Russia, whether it's whomever, and they're going to flood the zone of social media with misinformation and gaslighting and downright lies. That's what you're going to see. Misinformation, disinformation, gaslighting, and lies. You're going to see an election to, in 2024 that social media-wise is going to be infiltrated social media-wise just like the one in 2016 was. Now, the question is how much smarter, A, are we, dear listener, since 2016 to recognize that all of this stuff is a complete troll bot farm plus a manipulation from entities from afar, whether it's Iran or Russia or someone else. How smart are we going to be in understanding that? Or are we going to fall for the okie doke again? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, you know the rest. So we need to be very, very careful about this. And I don't think we can afford to react to all of these things. So when someone puts out some bullcrap or starts saying insulting things, if your social media platform allows you to, block them. Just block them. That's what you do. No responses. You don't have to get into arguments with them, just block them. That's what you do. And if you can report them, doing that on some social media platforms, Twitter, is no use, it seems, because you've got an owner of that platform and we know of uh, what he's about. I'm simply saying that you just need to be more careful. I'm not suggesting that you aren't careful. I'm saying to be even more careful about this. Because you're going to be seeing more of it over the next 16 months or so. And it's going to be furious. It's going to get worse. You've got AI out here. You've got all this chat GPT or whatever the heck it's called or GPT. I don't know the heck what it's called anymore. But the point is, is that you've got this push now of all this automated stuff, all these programs, all these algorithms. And this is not conspiracy. This is out. This is genuinely observably, demonstrably true. We've seen this happen over the last few years. We saw it in 2016. We saw all these disinformation campaigns in black communities. We saw people 
posting things on Facebook and on other social media channels that were intent upon dividing people in the black community and antagonizing people in black communities. So this is not something that's some kind of joke here. This is very serious. So just keep your eyes open for that and don't fall for the okie doke. I'll be right back. Dear listener, welcome back. Yes, indeed, here we are on a Wednesday, and I was just talking about not falling for the okey-doke and being aware, if you are a social media user, that you will start to see even more activity around disinformation and a lot of lies and gaslighting and hostility online. You're going to see this. It's going to ramp up now as we get to the 2024 U.S. presidential election. You're going to see this, in fact, anywhere across the world. When there are elections, you're going to start to see this. And this is a lot to do with the bots and troll farms and the places in the world, the countries in the world who are doing a lot of this activity. I've already talked about Iran. I've talked about Russia. And there are others who are doing all of these things to upend elections and destabilize things online. And the trick is really, I think, one way to deal with this is to stay offline a couple of days every week. I mean, I'm beginning to do that now. I'm trying to limit my online footprint. And I've talked about this before. You know, the time that you spend online, it consumes so much and you don't get work done. You really aren't as productive as you would like to be. And I like to think I'm pretty darn productive, but sometimes when you're on social media, you do get distracted. It's a very distracting and addictive enterprise. It's the new drug. It's the new crack. You know, it really is. And I really think social media in some uh, way, shape or form, just my opinion, not a, not a conspiracy, but my opinion, I think it's been put here to distract us. It's been put here to have us talking about all kinds of things that are not relevant. Don't get me wrong. There are lots of things on social media that get talked about that are very important. Information-wise, it's important to know them. But I also think there's a lot of garbage on social media, a lot of things that are useless and do not have any merit at all. And there's a lot of vitriol on social media and a lot of things that are irrelevant that we don't need to be spending our time on. I don't care, quite frankly, that And I would rather he be convicted of these crimes, but I don't care that Kevin Spacey was acquitted of these crimes that he was alleged to have committed, sexual assault crimes. I mean, these are extremely serious. And yeah, um, do I think he did these things? Yeah, I do. And would I have liked to have seen him convicted? Yeah, I would have. However, I have not posted anything about that on social media for a reason. Whether Kevin Spacey gets convicted or acquitted of sexual assault does not move the needle forward for me and and quite frankly, doesn't move the needle forward for you either. What moves the needle forward for us, you and I, dear listener, is voting. What moves the needle forward for you and I, dear listener, is educating people on voting and getting people to register to vote. Not next year, but right now. Here in 2023. And from my vantage point, on social media, 
there is not a lot of conversation at all, at all, about voting and about educating people to vote. I don't see postings on social media platforms where people are saying, okay, this is how you vote, or this is what you need to be aware of, or this is what you have to do, or I'm going to be educating a number of people on voting. I don't see any of that. Now, of course, there are people out there like Mark Elias and Democracy Docket and a number of others who do talk about voting and the impact that state decisions are having on voting and state legislatures, particularly Republican ones, are having on voting and what they're doing in their respective states to make voting harder and the legal fights that Mark Elias and others are engaging in. I see that. That's not what I'm talking about. And I really do appreciate the work that Democracy Docket and Mark Elias and his legal team does. And also other people's uh, persons who are involved in in fighting in the courts up and down and across the United States. And um, I do appreciate all of that work. And I'm not slighting any of that. What I am talking about is the lack of information or the lack of chatter on social media platforms in general about voting, about educating people on voting. I don't see it very much. Now, there are organizations like When We All Vote and New and Black Voters Matter, who both do really good work, and a number of other organizations, Voto Latino and Fair Fight Action, that's Stacey Abrams' organization. All of that I understand, and that's good. But what I'm talking about is ordinary, everyday users. I don't see this talk at all about voting. And are you going to wait until next year to start talking about voting on social media if you are on it? If you are, dear listener, on a social media channel, if you are on social media any given day of the week, do you talk about voting? Do you instruct people on how to vote? Do you provide links on people checking their voter registration? Do you provide links to your followers on social media? Okay, followers, here's a link. Go and check your voter registration. Do you do any of that? Now, I'm not sitting here bragging. I happen to do those things. I happen to alert the people who follow me on social media channels as to voter registration. And here's where you need to check it. And you need to have a voting plan now. I happen to be doing those things. And I'm sure there are other people who are. But listen, I have membership, or if you will, I am on several different social media platforms. And I do scour them. I look, I check them. I, I do not see very much talk here right now in late July of 2023 amongst the average user on social media in terms of voting. And that to me is a thing to be a little concerned about. Is it that people are waiting until next year to start talking about this? Is it that people are waiting until next year to begin to register to vote? I mean, there are some off-year elections going on right now. There's early voting, for example, going on right now in Ohio. And if you, dear listener, are in Ohio right now and you are listening to me, In July of 2023, you really need to be aware of the fact that you have an election coming up on August the 8th, 2023, and you need to be registered to vote. You need to check your voter registration. 
And you need to do that. You can do that at vote.gov. That's vote.gov. So please do that and be aware of what the voting rules are in the state of Ohio. I am going to be doing a lot more of this. And as I've said to you throughout this year and even late last, I'm going to be spending a lot more time here in 2023 talking about voting and talking about educating people to vote and educating people. I'm going to be educating people on voting and what the state deadlines are, what the requirements are. And it's important that people in Ohio know that there's a deadline for registration to vote for this August 8th. Um, Actually, there's early voting right now for this August 8th um, race that's going on. So you need to be aware of these things. You really do. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. I do not see, unless it's being filtered out by certain people on certain social media platforms, unless that's the case, I do not see it. I don't see it at all where this kind of talk is. Instead, what I do see are people talking over and over and over and over about Ron de Fascist, or as he's known, Ron de Satan in Florida. I've seen that talk all over the place. And look, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be talking about those things on social media. Look, I'm not trying to be the social media police here. What I am simply saying, dear listener, is is that we react so much online to everything. We are a reactive species and social media primes that pump in us where we continuously react to everything, every, every, everything that gets posted, whether it be important or insignificant. Those two different words beginning with the letter I, important and insignificant. Now granted, what Ron De Fascist is doing in Florida and all of these things, curricula saying that, oh, enslavement of black people benefited them, all this bullcrap, That stuff we should be talking about. And yes, the banning of books. Yes, the attacks on LGBTQIA communities and black communities. And we should be talking about those things. Yes, 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 yes. We need to be aware of it. But the question becomes, what, as Joe Madison would ask, are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it, dear listener? And I think the one clearest answer to that two really a one is to educate people and b is to vote voting is the only check on power that we have it's the one thing that you and i as everyday persons can do to stifle the powerful and to vote them out and we must Get into the habit of utilizing the power that we have. It's the only power we have in a so-called democracy. And if we don't want to use it, then what good is us even having voting if we're not going to utilize it? Now, of course, there's every good in it. But I'm asking a rhetorical question. Of course, I want us to vote. Of course, we must continue to vote and must have that right. But if you sit back and you choose not to vote, One day you may be living in a society where you cannot vote at all. And you don't want that. And I don't want that. And we don't want that. So the sensible thing to do is engage on voting. Be aware of your rights in your state as a voter. 
And please, if you've got social media and you've got followers on social media, you need to be proactively educating people, telling your followers that they need to vote and vote in every election, local, state and federal here in the United States. We need less talk about the fascist and more talk about voting. I'm not saying don't ever talk about him or these fascist Republicans or these racists. I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm saying is, can you supplement that talk with voting rights? Can you supplement that talk with educating people on voting and where to go? Can you supplement that talk about asking your followers, are they registered to vote? Are you, I mean, come on. We cannot wait until next year for this. We have to be doing this now. We have to get involved now. I just don't think there's any other way forward on this. And I do think that because we're so distracted by talking about this piece of garbage, because we're so distracted around that, we're not doing the very important work, I think, that we need to be doing now. The Republicans are already doing all these things. They've shown you what they're doing and who they are. What are we doing? I don't see any chatter at all about what we are doing on voting, what your plan is. I do see things about, well, I'm going out today to do this or, well, I'm doing that. But where's the chatter on what you're doing on voting? Are you registering people? Are you telling people how to register? Are you showing them links? Are you posting links? This is what I'm talking about. We need to utilize social media in an effective way. And we need to stop talking about, or at least talk less about the fascist. The way to get to move these people out of office and get them out of there is to vote them out. Hence, let's talk more about voting. Please, please do that. Spread the word on your social media channels and your podcasts. We have to get active and we have to start doing that now, not next year. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us, and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it, or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Now I invite you to listen to what I think is the most important speech that Vice President Kamala Harris has given. That it may be the most important speech she's given in her entire political career. This was the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, 
on Friday, July the 21st, 2023, in Jacksonville, Florida. So it is my absolute honor to introduce the Vice President of the United States of America, Kamala Harris. First of all, thank Jennifer. She and I and the Congresswoman Sherfulis McCormick, Ben Crump, Tracy Davis, Representative Angie Nixon, Derek Johnson from the NAACP, um, we're, we had some time before I came out to talk with each other. And I just want to say that there is extraordinary leadership, Jennifer and everyone else, in this state. And you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. I'll tell you yesterday, I was traveling to, to, to meet with some folks when I heard the news about what happened here. And our team and, and the president, you know, is completely on board with this. We said, we got to remind the folks of Florida that you're not fighting out here by yourselves. We believe in you. We believe in the people of Florida. And so I decided to to come and visit with you today. <laughs> and, um, well, let me start by saying this. I am a product of a public school education. I was sharing with some of the teachers earlier, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Frances Wilson, God rest her soul, attended my law school graduation. I am a product of teachers and an educational system that believed in providing the children with the full expanse of information that allowed them to then, and encouraged them, to then reach their own conclusions and exercise critical thought in a way that was directly intended to nurture their leadership. I am fully aware that it is because of that approach that I stand before you as Vice President of the United States of America. So when I think about where we are today and who we are as a community of people within the beauty of the diversity that I see in front of me, I know that there are many things we share in common. And first and foremost, we share in common a deep love of our country and the responsibility we each have then to fight for its ideals. That is so critically important on the subject then that gathers us here today. Because you see, when we think about it, part of true patriotism means fighting for a nation that will be better 
for each generation to come. Right? Believing that our nation is worth the investment in fighting for the children of America, that we will provide them with the information they need to go into the world and lead. I will tell you, as Vice President of the United States, I have now met with over 100 world leaders, presidents, prime ministers, chancellors, and kings. One of the things about who we are as Americans is we can walk in those rooms with the authority earned for the most part, except recently, sometimes, <laughs> earned authority to walk in those rooms talking about what it means to uphold democracies, the importance of rule of law, human rights. And when we walk in those rooms, we do it proud of the fact that we have been held up and held out as a role model. Well, the thing about being a role model is this. When you're a role model, people watch what you do to see if it matches what you say. So understand the impact that this is happening, having not only for the children of Florida and our nation, but potentially people around the world. Because on a more specific point in that regard, we want to know that we are sending our children out as role models of a democracy who therefore know the importance of speaking and telling truth, the importance of understanding when you are a leader, you must know history. And by the way, be really clear, be really clear. All the folks that we would go out and send our children to go and meet around the world are clear about our history. And we're going to send our own children out to not know what it is? Building in a handicap for our children that they are going to be the ones in the room? who don't know their own history when the rest of the world does? Think about this for a moment. The levels of proportion. So when I think about where we are, I do believe that our strength as a nation has always been because we are continuously and always invested in fighting to reach our ideals. And let's remember the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. Bancroft. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, is part of the spirit behind our founding as a democracy. Implicit in those words is we understood we must strive to form a more perfect union. Implicit in those words was an understanding we are imperfect. And we must be honest about that 
to understand then our history, where we've been, and then have a North Star in terms of where we must go. So when I think about what is happening then here in Florida, I am deeply concerned. Because let's be clear, I do believe this is not only about the state of Florida. There is a national agenda afoot. And what is happening here in Florida? Extremists, so-called leaders, for months have dared to ban books. Book bans in this year of our Lord, 2023. Extremists here in Florida. Pass a law, don't say gay. Trying to instill fear in our teachers that they should not live their full life and love who they love. And now, on top of all of that, they want to replace history with lies. Middle school students in Florida to be told that enslaved people benefited from slavery. High schoolers may be taught that victims of violence, of massacres, were also perpetrators. I said it yesterday. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us. And we will not have it. And we will not have it. And you know, as, as parents, we teach our children to tell the truth. It's one of the first things we teach our children. Love and honor their parents, their God, and tell the truth. We teach our children not only to tell the truth, but to seek knowledge and truth. It's part of what we know is about putting them on the road for them to grow and develop for the sake of our mutual well-being and prosperity. These are the things we tell them. Well, I think we should model what we say. These extremist so-called leaders should model what we know to be the correct and right approach if we really are invested in the well-being of our children. Instead, they dare to push propaganda to our children. This is the United States of America. We're not supposed to do that. And here's the other piece about this. Now, when adults know what slavery really involved, come on, adults know what slavery really involved. It involved rape. It involved torture. It involved taking a baby from their mother. It involved some of the worst 
examples of, of, of depriving people of humanity in our world. It involves subjecting to people the, the requirement that they would think of themselves and be thought of as less than human. So in the context of that, how is it that anyone could suggest that in the midst of these atrocities, that there was any benefit to being subjected to this level of dehumanization? In the midst of these atrocities, that there was some benefit misleading it is false and it is pushing propaganda people who walk around and want to be praised as leaders who want to be talked about as American leaders pushing propaganda on our children pushing propaganda on our children and when we think about it you know, when we send our children to school as parents, we want to know that they are, be taught, they are being taught the truth. It is a reasonable expectation. It is a reasonable expectation that our children will not be misled. And that's what's so outrageous about what is happening right now. an abject and purposeful and intentional policy to mislead our children. And so, let us be clear, teachers want to teach the truth. <laughs> teachers want to teach facts. And teachers dedicate themselves to some of the most noble work any human being could take on to teach other people's children for the sake of the future of our nation. And so they should not then be told by politicians that they should be teaching revisionist history in order to keep their jobs. What is going on? Are teachers who fear that if they teach the truth, they may lose their job. As it is, we don't pay them enough. these extremist so-called leaders who all the while are also the ones suggesting that teachers strap on a gun in the classroom instead of what real leaders should be doing and be engaged in reasonable gun safety laws. 
These are the same extremist leaders, so-called leaders, who make teachers fear losing their job for having a photograph of their spouse on their desk. But let's be clear. On this issue, as in, we, this is not the first time in history that we've come across this kind of approach. This is not the first time that there are powerful forces that have attempted to distort history for the sake of political ends. Think about in the past how we have seen attempts to minimize and even deny the Holocaust. Think about those who tried to rewrite the history of the Japanese internment camps. Erase our nation's dark and sordid history and how we have treated the native people and in particular through educational systems. Those who have tried and there are states where they have to ban teaching Latino and Hispanic history. This is not the first time. But when we think about it then in the context in which we should, understanding there is a national agenda afoot, understanding that there are many aspects of our history that some would like to overlook, erase, or at least deny, let us think about then what this creates as a moment for us to also then rededicate ourselves to the coalition. Our responsibility at moments like this to understand nobody should be made to fight alone. We are all in this together. And take a look, because you know, there are a lot of teachers here, I think, so I'm gonna tell you, you know, one of the things I love is Venn diagrams. Any math teachers in the room? I love Venn diagrams. And I have, I have done an exercise of, of, of looking to see from where are we seeing the attacks on things like voting rights, LGBTQ rights, a woman's right to make decisions about her own body, book bans. And you will not be surprised to know a lot of them revert to the same source. So let's think about this then as an opportunity to build back up the coalition of all people who believe in our foundational and fundamental truths. The truth that we are and will be a more perfect union when we fight for justice, when we fight for equality, when we fight for fairness, guided by a belief in who we are as a nation and telling our truths. And I will, I'll close with this. History has shown us that in our darkest moments, we have the ability to unite yes. and to come out stronger. We know e pluribus unum, out of many one. That is who we are in this room, out of many one. Americans who came here through Ellis Island Americans who were kidnapped and brought over on slave ships. Americans who are native to this land. Our history as a nation is born out of tragedy and triumph. 
That's who we are. Part of that is what gives us our grit. Knowing from where we came, knowing the struggles that we have come through and being stronger in our dedication to saying no more and not again. It is part of what makes up the character of who we are as America. So let's reject the notion that we would deny all of this in terms of our history. Let us not be seduced into believing that somehow we will be better if we forget. We will be better, better if we remember. We will be stronger if we remember. We fought a war to end the sin of slavery. A civil war. People died by the untold numbers in that war many of whom fought and died because of their belief that slavery was a sin against man, that it was inhumane, that it was not reflective of who we believe ourselves to be as a country, and certainly not reflective of who we aspire to be. So who then would dare deny this history who would dare then deny that these lives were lost and why they were lost and what was the cause that they were fighting for and what were they fighting against? They weren't fighting and dying because they thought people were, were going to be okay with this thing. It's because they knew that it had to end because it was so so criminal. So we know the history and let us not let these politicians who are trying to divide our country win. Because you see what they are doing, what they are doing is they are creating these unnecessary debates. This is unnecessary to debate whether enslaved people benefited from slavery. Are you kidding me? Are we supposed to debate that? Let us not be distracted by what they're trying to do, which is to create unnecessary debates to divide our country. Let's not fall in that trap. We will stand united as a country. We know our collective history. It is our shared history. We are all in this together. We know that we rise or fall together as a nation. And we will not allow them to suggest anything other than what we know. The vast majority of us have so much more in common than what separates us. 
And so let us stand always for what we know is right. Let us fight for what is right. And when we fight, we win. God bless you and God bless the United States of America. Thank you. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say, we're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us, and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it, or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Welcome back. Now that speech by Vice President Kamala Harris was given in Jacksonville, Florida this past Friday. That would be Friday, July the 21st, 2023. A very important speech. I think it's the most important speech she's ever given. Certainly in her political career. And I just want to point out one or two things. Toward the end of the speech, she talked about these false debates, these artificial debates, these pointless debates that these fascists are cultivating when they say things like, oh, enslavement benefited black people. It's very true, I agree with the Vice President, that yes, that is part of this. It's part of the propagandizing and the gaslighting and the lies to say things like, oh, enslavement of black people benefited them. Because they want you to react to that. And the Vice President did say, don't get involved in those kinds of false debates. And to some degree, I agree with her. I completely agree with her. I should say, for the most part, I do agree with her to not get involved in answering something that is so heinous and such a despicable thing. Remember, once upon a time, you would hear people say, well, I will not dignify that with a response. In this day and age, dear listener, I take a slightly different tact. I think it is important to push back on this kind of bullcrap from these Republicans, from these fascists. And I do think that it is necessary to remind people of the obvious. So that's where I would depart from the vice president. I do think it is important to continue to restate the obvious, to keep saying it. And quite frankly, if the vice president didn't think 
it necessary to state the obvious, she would not have gone down to Jacksonville, Florida to make that speech and to deliver that speech last Friday. So I really do think it is important to state the obvious. And you have to in this day and age. Because as we know, and as because I think the vice president said in that speech, silence is complicit. In fact, it was President Biden who said that yesterday in the episode I played yesterday. Remember that I played for you the speech that he gave during the, before he signed the proclamation to um, have a federal monument in both Illinois, a national monument in Illinois and in Mississippi for Emmett Till and his mother, Mamie Till Mobley. So that's who said it. President Biden said it. Silence is complicity. And I agree, completely agree. So I think that the vice president was on target with everything she said. The only thing I would add is that I think it is necessary to push back on this bullcrap. It is necessary to, for lots of reasons. Obviously, silence is complicity, but you also have to make it very clear to reinforce what the facts are, what the history is, what we all know the history is. These fascists know that enslavement didn't benefit black people. They all know this. They are saying these things for political reasons and also to get people who don't know the history and who are racist or who are going, hmm, maybe they did benefit them, who are there confused to actually go along with the garbage. It's what fascists do. It's what Hitler did. It's what Goebbels did, repeating the lie over and over and over again until... It starts to sink in as some kind of truth until some people believe it. There's that 5% that might just go, "Mm, maybe it did benefit them. And that's the kind of absolute objective that these fascists want. So I do want to point out that speech because I don't think it's been played very much at all. And it's very important that you listen to that speech again. And I would say watch the speech as well on the White House YouTube channel. You can go to where it says Vice President Harris and then search down near the very bottom of the hundreds of videos of speeches and presentations that she, and interviews that she gives in that section of the YouTube channel. And it's near the very bottom. So you really, really need to watch that speech or listen again to it as you've just heard me play it for you here. You've just heard it here, but you really need to, I think you need to pass that speech on. I think you need to watch the speech. I've watched it and listened to it separately, watched and listened and then listened only to the audio. It's a really important speech from the vice president. And what the vice president is doing is bringing fire and brimstone, which I think is very important and necessary because keep in mind, She is going to become the president of this country. I am firmly confident of that. I think it's going to happen because A, I think President Biden will get a second term. And B, I think that at some point during that second term, President Biden is going to resign from office, citing older age and citing health, perhaps. And he's going to turn the keys over to the next in line. That would be... Vice President Kamala Harris. And I think that's how you're going to have your first female president of the United States. 
And I am pretty confident that's going to happen. Now, of course, the key is next November 2024. But as far as I can see, dear listener, I think that's where this is going. And so that speech is a touchstone. I think it's a very important speech, the most important she's ever given in her political career, Vice President Harris. And I should also add, in case you did not know, full disclosure, I met the future Vice President at the time, Kamala Harris, in San Francisco, that would have been back in 2019, September of that year, as she was in the midst of her run for president of the United States. And she was, of course, the United States Senator for California. So I can tell you, full disclosure, I have met the future vice president, Kamala Harris, in person, shook her hand, had a photo taken with her. I've posted that on social media a number of times over the years. And so that is where I stand. Ireland, and I think that Sinead O'Connor will be remembered as much for the change she helped bring about in society as for her extraordinary music. Okay, David, thank you so much for sharing your memories of Sinead with us and talking to us um, following that terrible news that Sinead O'Connor has died at the age of 56. She was an acclaimed Irish singer. She was a megastar and she has died at 56. We'll be back at the top of the hour with lots more memories of Sinead O'Connor. Dear listener, you heard that correctly. Sinead O'Connor has passed away at the age of 56, and it's hard to believe that she's no longer here. 56 is a very young age. Do not be fooled about that. It certainly is a very young age. 56, you've not really truly lived your life yet. You really haven't. And Sinead O'Connor, who was very much a fixture in the 1990s in particular, not really with her music so much, although she did have... Um, a very big hit with Nothing Compares to You. That's the song, of course, that Prince wrote and performed. But also Sinead O'Connor made really famous and iconic. But really for me, I'll always remember Sinead O'Connor for the stands that she took, the political stands she took, the moral stands that she took. And I will never forget watching Saturday Night Live as it was happening in New York City back in 1992 when Sinead O'Connor was singing Bob Marley's smash hit War and in a cappella, she sang that immensely popular song from Bob Marley. And, well, why don't I just play to you what happened during the course of that tune? Until the ignoble and unhappy regime which holds all of us through child abuse, yeah, child abuse, yeah, subhuman bondage has been toppled, utterly destroyed, everywhere is war, war in the There's war, and the rumors of war 
day there is no continent which will know peace children children fight we find it necessary we know we will win we have confidence in the victory of good over evil. Fight the real enemy. Fight the Real Enemy. Yes, indeed. That was the legendary appearance of Sinead O'Connor on the October 3rd, 1992 edition of Saturday Night Live. And I remember watching that live. And that was just a portion of the appearance. She was on for three minutes or so singing Bob Marley's War in acapella. And I really love that um, powerful ending to it when she ripped up the photo of Pope John Paul II. And you could hear at the end some of the, uh, I think, some murmurings in the audience. Apparently, uh, Lorne Michaels, who was at NBC, uh, Saturday Night Live at the time, I think he still is at Saturday Night Live and NBC, um, ordered the applause signs not to be put on. So there was no applause at all. And Sinead O'Connor was banned from Saturday Night Live as a result of her performance. And uh, that was that. And then that episode was one that she really became known for. But... Her causes and her stands as an activist and someone who dubbed herself a protest singer really were the thing that really resonated to me. And I am sorry that she has left us at just 56. I'm sorry that she's not here at all. Uh, She identified definitely with black causes, um, with the hip-hop artist community as well. She expressed a lot of solidarity with them. She was an anti-racist. There's an uh, interview actually that she's done or at least a report from the Independent of London um, back in 2018 or thereabouts or whenever that was when she actually said that she did not want to be around white people anymore having converted to Islam several years ago so you know that that's something that I had not been aware of but she had gone on Twitter apparently at the time and said this Um, this is back in uh, 2018 or thereabouts so Janet O'Connor, and this is a quote in The Independent, quote, never wants to spend time with white people again, in quote, following her conversion to Islam. And she says, what I am about to say is something so racist, I never thought my soul could ever feel it, in quote. And that apparently was on Twitter. Now, those tweets have not appeared again. If you go to her uh, Twitter page, you won't find those. Sinead O'Connor is a Twitter handle, I believe. You won't, you won't find those. They skip 2018. They go from 2015 and then there's a skip to 2020 or thereabouts. So those tweets of 2018 were either deleted by Sinead O'Connor or were taken down by Twitter. So that's something that I did not know about Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor did uh, convert to Islam in 2017 or 18. And I should also add, she went through a lot of very uh, traumatic things in her life. Um, I believe she had already, she'd also been abused by her mother. Um, As a child, her mother abused her. I mean, she criticized the Catholic church, as I've said uh, a number of times, she was staunchly critical of the church. 
the Catholic Church for its hypocrisy and its violence against children. And so Sinead O'Connor was somebody who in some ways uh, reflected the movement of many artists of the 1960s. And I don't call her controversial. I never saw her as controversial. I saw her as somebody who um, reinvigorated the spirit of those times of the 1960s where artists really did have something to say. The Nina Simones of the world and the, you know, the James Baldwin's of the world and, and so many other people in between who had something of substance to say to the world. They weren't popcorn candy entertainers who didn't leave you anything to think about or feel uh, beyond your own entertainment factor. They gave you lots to think about as well. And Sinead O'Connor was one of them. There were times that Sinead O'Connor was going through some mental health struggles. That was very, very clear. She talked about them openly. She was very open about her mental health challenges and the episodes that she had and some of the mel- the meltdowns, if you will, that she had. And she recorded the video a few years ago and she openly, you could see that she really bared her soul, was extremely vulnerable and made some videos that were really uh, draw-dropping. In fact, it, you felt kind of a little bit uh, embarrassed to be watching her because she really did bare her soul. You felt like you were an intruder. But really what I think was happening for Sinead O'Connor was that she never really found the love and the grounding um, that I think she really was probably searching for. Her mother never gave that to her, obviously, and she had been married four different times. She never really got it there either in her marriages. And, you know, there was a cross-section of the public whom forget about nothing compares to you. They only think about 1992, two years after the song was released, where she was on Saturday Night Live. And of course, she got a lot of heat and vitriol for that. She got some support. And I was one of those who supported her at the time. But she also got lots of vitriol. And she must have felt very lonely at that time. So Sinead O'Connor was always searching for belonging, I think. And the fact that she became a Catholic priest and then uh, decided instead to convert to Islam... Uh, I think is evidence of that. She's searching for this belonging. And I don't know if she ever found it to her own satisfaction. Uh, She changed her name um, as well late on in her life. And uh, I don't know if she was ever truly happy or at least contented. Um, But I do know now that she is resting in peace. And so it is sad to hear that she has passed away and also that she's only 56 when she did. And I do express my profoundly heartfelt condolences to her family on their loss and on the world's loss. Sinead O'Connor, in many ways, to me, was ahead of her time and um, really invigorated the spirit of today's younger generation. And I certainly do hope, I really do hope that um, people don't forget her because I thought that she was unforgettable. And I also think that she shone a light that was so bright and so unremittingly powerful. And she spoke truth to power as an artist. And I look at her that way more than I look at her um, as someone who sang a song in 1990 that Prince wrote. I think her reach was far deeper and far more significant than that one song was a smash hit. She refused to accept a Grammy that she had won in 1991. And I think that really stands with the spirit of who Sinead O'Connor was. So Sinead O'Connor, rest in power.
Dear listener, I want to thank you very much indeed for your time on this Wednesday or whenever you happen to be listening to this edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you listening. Thank you so very much for your valuable time. You're the person who makes this podcast what it is. And I, for one, am truly thankful and grateful to you. Thank you very much. Don't forget, you can find me on numerous social media platforms. And of course, don't forget to search out this podcast, download it, share it, tell your friends and your family about the Politocrat Daily Podcast, and also subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, won't you please? That would be youtube.com forward slash at sign the Politocrat P-O-D. Find me on Twitter at popcorn at, as you say, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L, and on numerous other podcasting platforms, threads, spill, spoutable, all at popcorn, R-E-E-L, and more. There's so many more. And of course, there's numerous podcasting platforms as well. Stitcher will discontinue podcasting its uh, hosting shows on its uh, platform in late August of this year, 2023. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. Mm -hmm.